to Media Plus, the weekly look at the world of digital media and Apple's place within it from the Mac Observer. I'm your host, Charlotte Henry, and I'm very excited today to talk with Chris Stockel-Walker. He's an author, he's a journalist who you've read in a million different places. Um, and it, first of all, hi, Chris, it's very nice to see you again. Great to have you. And yeah, thank you very much. The, there's lots of reasons why we could have Chris on the show, but there's one real one, and that can only be TikTok. He's literally written the book on it. It's called TikTok Boom. Great stocking filler I've heard. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's as comprehensive a look as you're going to get at this social media phenomenon. Um, and, and I put it to Chris, we were chatting off there, and I said, we kind of thought 2020 was the year of TikTok, and then 2021 blew it away. Is that a fair summary, Chris? I think it is. And I think I think we thought that 2020 was going to be the pandemic year. And then it also realised that that kind of just bled into 2021. So I think, yeah, TikTok, um, you know, in March 2020 had as many people using it for as long as there has been between now and the Stone Age, which I thought was kind of an incredible stat for it. So repeat that again. That's just blowing my mind. We're recording yeah. this relatively early in the morning. Well, not too early, yeah. but early so enough in, in the Mar- UK. So it's, I can't I can't remember exactly whether it was Appani or it was Sensor Tower, but they they put out some data at the very start of the pandemic, which is right. kind of why I think we thought TikTok was going to be the app of 2020, which was that in March 2020 alone, users on TikTok spent as much time there as they did between now and the Stone Age. So it's like 320,000 years oh on the app goodness. in one month. That's, so that's mind blowing. Yeah, and that's why I thought you know TikTok was the app of 2020. But then, fast forward a year, the app survives through you know Donald Trump's attempts to kind of ban it and things like that. Yeah, and actually, what ends up being the case is that 2021 is TikTok's year because they now have one billion monthly active users, so you know half the amount that YouTube has in. God, like a third or a quarter of yeah. the time, then they're the first non-Facebook app to cross 3 billion downloads worldwide uh, onto phones and devices, which is scary and exciting and all sorts. And I think kind of represents a new paradigm potentially. So yeah, TikTok, I think, has continued to go from strength to strength in 2021, partly maybe buoyed by the pandemic, but also just the fact that this is a juggernaut that seemingly shows very little sign of stopping at the minute. It does. And I one of the things I think that seems to me to be driving it is, well, frankly, that people like me are now using it and viewing on it. It's gone from, first of all, teenagers in China and Southeast Asia using it to teenagers and people in their early 20s in Western countries using it to kind of by TikTok and social media standards, relatively old people like 34-year-old me consuming far too much of it. And I know there was, there's a kind of joke within TikTok of kind of people worrying that about too many older users on it, but this is what the company wants, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and, and to do justice to that, we have to rewind not just 2021, but 2020 and also into 2019. So Christmas 2019, I was starting to kind of cover the, I guess, the first tremors of TikTok kind mm. of arising and was looking at it early on for my book. And I, I spoke to um, 
the the UK managing director of TikTok, a guy called Rich Waterworth, who at the time was saying that their grand plan was to age up the yeah. app's audience. So you know, there was a time when they had something like 43% of users under the age of 14 in the UK, which is an astounding number, uh, under the age of 14, sorry, in the UK, which is an astounding number yeah. of users, astounding proportion. So not, not just teenagers, but young teenagers. Yeah, young teenagers. And, and that's you know a legacy of the app's children, history. Chris, music. Children, Exactly. Well, they are. They are children. And TikTok kind of knows that. And I think that's also the case that Ofcom knows that. And we have the kind of issues around Ofcom trying to regulate uh, social media platforms and particularly those focused on kids. And TikTok is obviously in the sights of them. Um, but the, you know, Rich Waterworth very specifically said in December 2019 to me that they were having a strategy of aging up the app. So you fast forward you know, a year and a half, the fact that this summer in 2021, we had the Euro 2020 Championships, which yes. for, for anybody you know listening back to this, that sentence is going to be a complete mind yes. meld. Because of- <laughs> they just, it's the European Football Championships, uh, International Football Championships to various countries. England got to the final and lost. We're all still very sad about it. But um, I think the point you're going to make is that how... And it was meant to be in 2020, but for obvious reasons was delayed till 2021, Mm. but they didn't change any of the branding. And we all just kind of accepted it was Euro 2020. (laughs) Anyway, I think the point you were going to make is that TikTok was inextricably linked to that tournament. Um, It took out branding and sponsorship and had special parts within the app, all about videos from it. It was a huge, huge part of how that uh, that tournament was consumed, wasn't it? Yeah, it was principal sponsor. It was emblazoned on every single pitch side hoarding on every single match. It was inescapable. And I think that was a significant moment because it it opened up the app to, you know, and again, stereotyping, you're a Tottenham fan, I'm a Newcastle fan. We're both from very different kind of backgrounds and areas, but a vast majority of football fans are football lads, right? And it kind of managed to tackle and open up this app to that audience yeah exactly lads 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 yes i mean it did definitely change that dynamic you definitely saw kind of younger guys who were either watching games in the pub or in the stadiums um uh you know taking videos of them and their mates on the way that it changed it from the kind of young the stereotypical pretty teenage girl dancing if we can put it that crudely yeah, but what's really interesting about it is that this is an issue that every app goes through, right? We we know that Facebook is now just the uncoolest thing in the world because everybody's grandparents yeah, it's, ended it's, up on Facebook. It's the old parents that. Yeah, but we don't have that necessarily with TikTok because it does silo you quite well to the extent that you know those two groups can coexist quite peacefully on TikTok while never really crossing over. Yes, I want to talk about that siloing effect in a little bit, but I just kind of want to first dig into the broader story of TikTok that you reflect on in your book, TikTok Boom, which is sort of one of the reasons I want to discuss it on the show, first of all, is because it's the kind of level of creativity and increasing production values on so much of the stuff on there is as good as any of the other media platforms we discuss on this show. So, um, you know, whether they're streaming services, podcasts, whatever. People are 
you know, writing full three-minute sketches now. People are, you know, elaborate costume and choreography and lighting and settings that, but without losing that kind of authenticity in lots of ways. The production values on some of this stuff is quite staggering, isn't it now? It is, and I think that is, there's kind of two interesting elements to that. One is that TikTok helps enable that because over the longer time frame of online video history, you know, YouTube has kind of dominated many of the years mm. of that. And YouTube, you needed fancy lighting, you needed a good camera, you needed a decent microphone, you needed an entire kind of production setup in order to get over that minimum barrier of entry for decent quality content. TikTok kind of has benefited, I guess, from Moore's law in the advancing of technology and the fact that we all have pretty decent lenses on our smartphones now to actually you know, enable that to be done within a smartphone rather than in addition to a smartphone. Yeah, I mean, the development of cameras, obviously, I see it very clearly with the iPhone, but, you know, Samsung and various other Android platforms have also really increased the, their camera capabilities. That's played hugely into the success of TikTok, hasn't it? That hardware side of it. I think that's often missed point, actually. Yeah, uh, and then there's another there's another really brief element, which is that this is kind of the inevitability of any maturing of a platform, which is mm. that you start to get more and more professional content. And in, in the book, which you very kindly highlighted and dragged me back to actually mentioning it, TikTok's playbook in India, which is one that they use in a lot of other countries now, is to essentially kind of go for cheaper working class, um, easy to acquire users through Facebook ads, get them to produce essentially low quality content, not brilliant stuff. And then they start to trade up and they start to make it more professionalized. I think what you're seeing in terms of very, very carefully planned three minute sketches, high production value, lots of costumes is just the inevitable growth of a platform and Mm. the ability for it to kind of become a fully fledged media ecosystem. Uh, yeah, and it is it. It's gone from kind of there's still the fun kind of one of the characters here in the UK was known as the TikTok poster. He hasn't can't post in um Royal Mail anymore, Royal Mail uniform anymore, but kind of made this whole thing of being out just out and about whilst doing her post service round, which was kind of an intriguing thing to watch. We but then again I've seen also you know very widely co- um, follow content creators, as I say, writing proper two and a half, three minute sketches. There's a whole diversity, but um, you kind of see what you get. We kind of joke about what kind of side of TikTok you're on, don't we? With those silos. And, and we'll come back to that. But first, I want to thank our sponsor for today's episode. This week's episode is sponsored by Coinbase. Cryptocurrency might feel like a secret or exclusive club. I know it does to me sometimes. But Coinbase believes that everyone, everywhere, should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or just getting started, Coinbase can help. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy-to-use platform to buy, sell and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. 
For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash media plus. Sign up at coinbase.com slash media plus for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash media plus. Thanks to Coinbase for supporting this show. I'm here with Christopher Walker, um, who is the author of TikTok Boom, and we're uh, looking into the seemingly unstoppable rise of that app. But um, let's talk about the silos and let's talk about the algorithm because there was a big, just before we recorded this episode, there's a big piece, Ben Smith's column, another former guest on this show. Um, his column in the New York Times is all about TikTok and its algorithm and kind of how it keeps you watching for so long. What's your insight into that? Because, I mean, I've experienced this personally myself. Oh, I'll just watch a couple of videos and 25 minutes later... I'm still watching a couple of videos. Um, tell, tell us about that kind of sensation of being kind of the scrolling, never-ending scrolling sensation on TikTok. Yeah, well, it's 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 basically fine-tuned all of the different bits that apps in the past have utilised for their benefit and combined them all together into a kind of Frankenstein's monster, I suppose, of engagement. So. Um, it has this sort of headlong stream of endless content that you see, you know, on Twitter and everywhere else and Instagram now, you know, doesn't have the little Instagram, you're all caught up message because there's so much content out there for you to consume. You're never caught up. No, you are never, ever caught up. You're just trapped in this thing that you keep flicking through with your thumb. So there's, there's that element, there's the full screen video element, which is um, really, really vital for them. And in the book, that. I so it, basically there are no there's no extraneous stuff on the screen essentially you, your entire portrait mm. 169 uh, 916 phone screen is taken up with video and there's you know instagram is now i see starting to do a lot more kind of full screen vertical video things mm-hmm. which is you know, not coincidental i suppose but previously you know you would try and get landscape video shoehorned into a little corner of a screen on your your normal phone um or you would have the instagram style square thing and, and tiktok's predecessor app douyin which you know, i know we're going to come on to a little bit talking about mm. the the links between china and yeah. the western versions of the app um but the there is a predecessor version of TikTok called Douyin, which is only available in China. It's a few years older. When they were developing Douyin, ByteDance, which is TikTok's parent company, they looked at sort of 100 or more other apps and they specifically picked out the best features, including that idea of the full screen immersive video. So there's that. And then there is this algorithm, which Ben Smith's piece touches upon, which is designed to try and, I guess, it's optimised for retention and um, for time spent. So it wants to keep you coming back and it wants to keep you on the app, both of which are obviously goals of every single social media platform that we but, know of, but TikTok but does it well. TikTok does it arguably better than almost anything else, apart from maybe, depending on who you are, Twitter. Mm. I would say it's up there with a the kind of never end- endless scrolling capability. Um, and then let's talk about this thing about silos because there's all kinds of you know my tiktok looks very different to your tiktok let's put it that way and because you know you when you first log on you pick a few subjects or people that you may have heard of that you're interested in and then it picks your what's called your for you page which is essentially your feed um it picks it based on that and as you use it more obviously it, it intelligence gathers and kind of finds what 
kind of content you're interested in and what kind of content you're going to keep watching and keeps keep trying to give you more of it. Um, how kind of, can you give us a bit more insight into that process and how that all works? Cause it's, I mean, it's quite, it's all, it's accurate and effective to quite a scary degree. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it, TikTok does capture an awful lot of data and, and Ben Smith's story, which is based on a, a leaked document that he obtained, which is, is one worth pointing out. It's, it's, I haven't seen that and it's, it's fantastic that Ben's got that and has reported on that. Um, I've seen kind of other, other things that explain a little bit how the algorithm works, but it, it, it is essentially designed to keep you within your interests and your areas of interest while also kind of very slowly expanding out mm. the area of interest that you're you're fascinated by with the goal of kind of always giving you something new to come on to. So it, it, it does that. The whole principle behind TikTok is that it's what's called um, a content graph rather than a social graph. So uh, it's based on the content that you interact with rather than the stuff that your friends are interested in, which is traditionally what you know, Facebook, for instance, has yeah, to but- the Facebook is very based around the social graph and your friend like this and so you might like it too. Yeah, and it means that it just it gets it gets more to the nub of what you're interested in. Now what I always find interesting about this is there is a kind of rule of thumb with social media creators of any type based on you know, the several years that I've been covering this space that if you get more than two of them in a room at any one time, the conversation will turn to the algorithm and it's kind of benign always, godlike effect. Yeah, and it's always to their disadvantage they're always angry at the algorithm they are they, th- they think of it as some kind of weird voodoo god that like you have to sacrifice stuff to you and i don't really get it but i think it's because of the lack of transparency around these things which is obviously you know, that's self-evident you know no social media platform is going to give away the secrets of their their app because it's a thing that makes their app important <laughs> yes and i think as users we can kind of get sucked into that as well this idea of that we're just being swept along for the ride but actually we always have to remind ourselves in these kind of things and with these kind of products that the algorithm was made by human beings mm. and i think and yeah and this is this for, is the thing for, that, for both the good and bad that that involves yeah and and it, this is the thing we often overcomplicate things i mean for instance i think one of the first pages of my book includes a little rumination on the algorithm based on a conversation that i had with one of tiktok's editorial leads in the UK, someone who essentially is designed, their purpose is to kind of sit 40,000 feet above TikTok and see what's going on. And they also buy into this kind of myth, right, of the algorithm is this thing Mm. that is all powerful and nobody really knows about it, but actually it is computer code at the end of it. And Written by humans. Yeah, written by humans and, and with the biases and the issues that humans have. So, for instance, in a lot of the Silicon Valley algorithms that have been written, um, you know, YouTube, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of those, we know that there are pre-existing biases against people who are not white men. Like, we know that. The issue with TikTok's algorithm in many ways is one that they they wrestled with in the early days and they have managed to solve a little bit. And it's one that's a broader issue for the company, which is that everything within TikTok has its genesis in Douyin and everything in Douyin is coded by Chinese engineers. And Chinese engineers work under a very interesting set of circumstances, including kind of social mores and codes Mm. that, you know, mean that until relatively recently in TikTok's, you know, development, 
there were, you know, and I, I go into this in the book, you know, content moderation guidelines that said you couldn't have ugly people on the For You feed. You couldn't mention certain sensitive topics from China on the For You feed. All of these things add up to issues that TikTok has kind of ironed out those wrinkles, I suppose, as, as um, awareness and eyeballs have been put on the app. But they're still kind of fundamental issues that remain there a little bit, even if it's kind of mostly ironed out. Right. Let's you let's dig into the China bit because I think we've kind of skirted around it and it's a really important element to it and a kind of a fear in some ways that some people have with the prominence of this app. Mm. Um so as you've mentioned, TikTok's origins are in China with Douyin. It is owned by a Chinese firm, ByteDance. What are the connections, first of all, between ByteDance, the parents company, and the Chinese state and Chinese authorities? So they, um, like any company in China, they obviously have these issues where they have to coexist with the Chinese Communist Party. And throughout the history of ByteDance, you see um, its founder, Yimin Zhang, kind of butting up against the constraints that he has. One of the interesting things is I'm still fascinated to interview him, even though he is no longer the CEO. And there are rumours, conversations that he has, he perhaps stepped down in part because he didn't want the same scrutiny and issues that other Chinese tech CEOs have faced in the last few months. Um, Yimin Zhang is a really interesting character because my understanding of him, based on people who have worked with him for quite a long time and interact with him quite a lot, is that he he's essentially kind of a, a Western capitalist stuck in a Chinese communist system. He he kind of devours those, and this isn't necessarily a good thing. He he devours those terrible airport business books that you know tell you how to kind of you know make it big and all of this stuff, and he kind of genuinely follows them and thinks that's really interesting. He travels quite a lot, and he has previously with other apps within the ByteDance stable, stable kind of found himself on the wrong side of Chinese censorship and the wrong side of Chinese crackdowns. And I think um, that there is this kind of issue where he's being pulled in two different areas, two different ways, right. and so is ByteDance. And so I think TikTok is kind of, incre- like TikTok itself is separate largely from China. I mean, there are still staff that work on it and credos and rules that come down from ByteDance executives that are passed worldwide, but they are trying to earn more, I think, from China because of all the reasons that we kind of outlined there. Yes. Um, and the second part of it, which links into this, is this fear that always comes from that. You talked about the former CEO kind of buffing up against the Chinese Communist Party. There is obviously, and always is with these kind of things, a concern that there's politically sensitive topics that are, you know, disappeared via that magic algorithm or just disappeared via censors. And we've seen the phenomenon that I've reported on of apps in China, including very prominent ones like Yahoo Finance, which was a way of Chinese people in China mainland getting uh, Western news suddenly disappearing from the app store. Audible was another one that I reported on. What are the, I should say, Ben Smith's story says that a report by Citizen Lab, a cybersecurity watchdog in Toronto, uh, says their concerns are not really founded. He himself didn't find 
that China was censoring or TikTok was censoring sensitive topics. Have you found that? What's your kind of understanding of that issue, which is obviously very pertinent to us here? We know that other social media platforms have run up to this. Google, the obvious example, you know, has had this ongoing issue for ages. Yeah, they used to. Like, and it's, it's worth being honest about this. TikTok used to, and TikTok they did used that. to censor stuff. Yeah, they used to. They, I've seen content moderation guidelines. Content moderation guidelines have been reported on by other people that date back to kind of 2018, 2019. That included things like you can't mention Tiananmen Square. Right, I was gonna, that was going to be my question. If I went to China, mainland China, took a video in Tiananmen Square, what would happen? I think I think you'd be okay on Western TikTok now because there was a really interesting and, to be honest, quite open um, conversation on the the UK's Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select mm-hmm. Committee in Parliament um, about a year ago, where Theo Bertram, who is kind of TikTok's governmental liaison, yes. public policy person in the UK and Europe, he he was quizzed quite pointedly by MPs about things like that. And he he was open. He said that in the early days of TikTok moving out of China and going global, a lot of the decisions were still made by Chinese staff, whether they were based in China or whether they were based in Western countries. And they came with a Chinese sensibility and attitude towards censorship. Now, that has changed now. And so I think that you would be able to do this stuff. And, you know, Ben Smith's a very, very good reporter. I'm not as good as Ben Smith, but I try my best. I'm certainly not a a bad journalist. It's not for a lack of trying of getting that world exclusive scoop of the kind of bat phone between these two uh, entities. I haven't been able to find it. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'd be very stupid if I said it absolutely doesn't, but I don't think it does at the minute. Uh, yeah, of course, that's not the only way that censorship on such platforms can happen, particularly in a you know, under a, a regime like the Chinese one. Mm. Um, but, I, I, you know, in some ways it's reassuring if people are not finding that. But it's I think it's one of the things we do need to keep an eye on as this platform develops and becomes ever more popular and people share more and more on it. Um, I was going to ask you about the Donald Trump trying to ban it thing, but I kind of think we're over that now, aren't we? It links to, I know it links to the point about China, but the idea that TikTok was a national security threat always seems somewhat bizarre to me. It does. Really briefly on that, it, that was obviously a sideshow in a circus. The right. ironic thing is that in terms of a short-term risk to TikTok's survival, that was a real, very present and dangerous mm. threat. Ironically, the longer-term risk to its survival is the fact that Donald Trump went away because with Donald Trump going away, you had Joe Biden coming in and he scrapped a lot of the lawsuits that Donald Trump was filing against TikTok to try and shut it down. But he did leave open this opportunity that if he does find something serious, and in this case it would be serious because he would actually do the job properly, mm-hmm. then there would be a really mortal risk to TikTok. And now, don't think they're going to find that because I still don't think that necessarily exists. But if they did, then all of the kind of hype and horror and things like that that we had last year I think become even more risky because this time that would stick. If they actually found the evidence, there's no way that a court could overturn a, a Joe Biden request to ban it rather than a Donald Trump one. Oh, that's an interest. Yes. You you think it would be taken more seriously just because yeah. of the way it would be conducted. Yeah, exactly. Um 
so looking ahead then with that in mind what, what if 2021 was a massive year for tiktok what on earth happens in 2022 is can it stay as big could it keep this amazing pace yeah so when i wrote my previous book which was on youtube i kind of got asked by my publisher to look ahead and see is there a new youtube out there is there a competitor mm. that is going to overtake it and i did mention and i feel very very smug about this for no reason because it wasn't anything that i like deliberately did but i did mention this hot new up and coming app called tiktok that i thought could potentially be of interest in the coming years did the same process for tiktok boom in 2021 could not find a new app to supplant TikTok. So my thinking is that this is going to be around for another few years. And what's particularly interesting is ByteDance throughout their entire history have shown an indication that they don't want to just rely on one single app. They like to try and build out their ecosystem. And I think ByteDance potentially could shape the future of our interactions with social media and the internet in the same way that Facebook did over the last 10 or 15 years for good and for evil. So do you think there could be a kind of ByteDance equivalent of Instagram, say, or... Yeah, well, they they have all sorts of different areas, right? I think TikTok is going to be the Facebook blue app. I think that you have already got this idea of workplace productivity, which is their app called Lark, which is kind of a Slack-alike. Um, right. You have ideas for educational apps. You have longer-form video apps in China beyond Douyin. You have um, you had meme apps in China, like a kind of Reddit-style thing. There are all different areas that I think you know, ByteDance could touch upon in the West. And you know, that has an interesting idea for what our future of tech looks like, because it's a very different model to the Silicon Valley Facebook one. Yes, and a very different model to kind of what quote-unquote digital media looks like and mm-hmm. the kind of content that terrible phrase that I wish I could stop using, um, that we, the kind of content that we consume and how we consume it, that would have a huge influence on that. Exactly. And I think that's, that's what's kind of fascinating to me is there are really quite so many unknowns at the minute. Um, you know, TikTok are they definitely... known unknowns or unknown? Oh God, let's not, let's not go into that. <laughs> TikTok is definitely not a flash in the pan now. We've, we've established that. It was the app of 2020, we thought. It's now become the app of 2021. I have a feeling it could become and still remain the app of 2022. What is unknown is how much it has a kind of impact and an echo beyond that core user base. Does it really change culture in the way that it's hinting at doing already? Does it really change the norms around online video? Does the fact that they have baked in e-commerce in the Chinese version of the app and they're starting to do that in the Western version of the app mean that we'll see much more of that kind of Chinese model of how we buy and shop and sell and interact with everything coming to the West? So far, potentially, yes, because you know, YouTube did a Thanksgiving thing where yeah, they had a load of push on e-commerce, all yeah, sorts. Walmart, wasn't it? Um, Well, as we learn more and see how that plays out, we will be coming back to you, Chris. So thank you so much for joining me here on Media Plus. Tell people where they can keep up to date with you. Uh, I am on TikTok, but don't follow me on TikTok because I'm not very good. Instead, follow me on Twitter at Stokel, S-T-O-K-E-L. I'm going to find you on TikTok now. Um, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. Obviously, keep up with all we report on TikTok and other major social media apps and digital media platforms at the Mac Observer. Thank you for listening. Do share the show and subscribe if you think, if you and you think others will like it. And I'll see you next week. Bye.